Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody, this is Russ K5TUX welcoming you to episode long awaited episode number 131 of Linux in the Hamshack. And because we have an AWOL Pete VE2XPL with no explanation of any kind, we have an interesting assortment of characters on the show with us tonight. And we'll start with our newest official co host, uh, the YL, Cheryl, and uh, hopefully you're like actually paying attention. Yes, I am actually paying attention. Good evening, everyone. We also have, back from the abyss, or wherever he's been hiding out lately, Harrison, VE2HKW. Good evening, Harrison. Welcome back to the show. Uh, good evening. I actually came downstairs tonight uh, to uh, fill in the show notes because I saw two new episodes came out. And all of a sudden, I get this call from Russ saying, hey, you want to come on the show? Couldn't resist. Yeah, I've been kind of wondering where you went, and maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. But we've already started late, and we have lots of stuff to get through on this episode. So I should probably move on for now. But that being said, we also have a person who's never been on the show before and decided that he wanted to jump in. And apparently, the ability to BS well enough to be a co-host with us for the evening I can't remember what your actual first name it is. I think it's like Len or something like that. But you like to go by Hutch. His name is Hutch Hutchinson. Call sign Kilo 9 Kilo Juliet November. From Indiana, we just learned. So welcome to the show. Hi, Russ. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. Yes, I am uh, Hutch here in beautiful downtown Mooresville, Indiana, just southwest of Indianapolis. Just southwest of Indianapolis. You know, it's funny. If we had known that, we were supposed to meet a friend of ours just southwest of Indianapolis on our way back from Hamvention. I don't remember if we saw you at Hamvention, did we? Yes, we did. I uh, did come up and say hi to, to you. You're very, very polite, very nice. And uh, it was awesome to speak to you. And I uh, felt like I was uh, speaking with uh, Linux royalty. It was awesome. Linux royalty? No, I got to speak with Linux royalty. I mentioned that on the last episode. When Bruce Perrins came by the booth, uh, Kilo Six Bravo Papa. To me, he is he is truly Linux royalty. I get a little bit giddy every time he walks by the booth because he always says hi too in a very pleasant sort of way. Gives me a lot of insight into the Codec Two and FreeDV projects, and then wanders off to be with his kind or whatever it is he does. But I'm glad to know that we did get to meet. We met so many people during Hamvention. I can't really remember them all, so I apologize for that. And as I was beginning to say before I went through all of that, we were actually supposed to meet somebody southwest of Indianapolis on the way back. And if I had known you were from there, uh, we probably could have like bought you lunch or something. But I would have bought you lunch because I have a restaurant here, and I would have been uh, more than happy to uh, to uh, let you try some fried alligator or one of our specials here at the restaurant, or at least a few beers. Oh, we happen to love fried alligator. We have a place here uh, in Branson that serves it. The problem seems to be that while it's on the menu, it is very rarely in stock. Next time we're heading through the Indianapolis area, I think we may have to hit you up on that. Well, please do. Please do. And also we have uh, boiled crawfish when they're in season. In fact, we're having a big boiled crawfish uh, Mardi Gras block party here in Mooresville on Thursday. 
uh, we're getting about four or 500 pounds of uh, live Louisiana crawfish, and we're going to boil those up. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, that's very good, except I've been banned from eating crawfish because the last time I did that, Cheryl had to peel them all. Oh, we'll get you up to speed in no time. No, the problem was I had to peel them all, and you were eating them faster than I could get them peeled out. Oh. That was the problem. <laughs> we'll teach him how to peel those things. He'll be like a pro. A pro. Oh, sounds good. I think I think that was an invitation. Well, anytime. Y'all come on down. Say, uh, say hello. And we'll uh, set you up with some crawfish and some alligator. You all heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasant trees aside, I suppose we should get to the show. And unfortunately, we're going to start off the show with a bit of a downer. Back in... January and February, when we were doing our Indiegogo campaign, we had a sort of wrap-up party on a a live Google chat, a Google Hangout. It's posted up on our YouTube page for Linux in the Hamshack. During that, we uh, got a visit from Tom Samachicchio, who uh, is KB4HQA, who was the host of some video podcasts uh, and a lot of good Elmering information via YouTube and via podcast. Many of you may remember that he was in a very bad accident coming home from Hamvention. I believe it was three years ago. Might have been two years ago. He was, I guess, in intensive care for a while, and it was touch and go for a while. And then he was on the mend for for a couple of years. He invited us to be on his program and talk to us, and everything was great. And I believe he posted in April about uh, new HQA radio shows that were coming up. And everything was going good. And then I found out on Google Plus from, I guess, a listener of the HQA radio show that suddenly Tom passed away a couple of weeks ago. I have to say I was kind of surprised and shocked to to hear that somebody who was actually doing so much better over the last couple of years than he had been had taken a turn for the worse and, and actually become Silent Key. And unfortunately, I can't find any information about this anywhere. Uh, there's nothing in the papers for the area where it, he lives even what showed up on the funeral home's website was minimal at best, which I'll go ahead and read here. It says, uh, Thomas Frank Samachicchio Jr., age 52, of Cumming, Georgia, passed away on Monday, June 2nd, 2014. Memorial service honoring Tom's life will be held Saturday, June 28th at 1.30 p.m. at Fowler Park in Cumming, Georgia. The service will be held just prior to the start of Ham Radio's annual field day event and will be handled by the Ingram Funeral Home and Crematory down there in Georgia. Uh, there's a link to the to that a bit where you can send a donation or send flowers or or leave uh, your thoughts about Tom. I'm not sure what else to say about that, but I thought since he was a popular Elmer amongst the ham radio community and someone who I knew personally that he probably deserved at least some mention because I didn't really see much mention anywhere on the internet that I could find. I just want to say that's very sad because uh, it seemed like he was doing much better and uh, it's always uh very sad time when someone goes silent key i wish the very best for uh, his family and uh we're uh, very saddened yeah absolutely and and if you go back and look at that video that he did back in february i mean a mere you know four and a half months ago he seemed very upbeat very positive and seemed to be doing incredibly well so i have to say i was i was really taken aback to find find out about this and really taken aback even more to know that it took two weeks for the information to get to get out there I mean, because he, he passed away on June 2nd, and here it is, June 17th. Right, that does seem sort of unusual uh, to, to take that long. Usually, uh, uh, we hear about things so fast now with, with the uh, Internet that uh, it's almost instantaneous. And I'm not sure what happened, but um, you know, I do, I do wish the best for Tom and his family uh, and friends. It's very sad news. 
so I'm going to skip the next thing and move on. Well, I'm not sure I want to jump right into the next topic. Let me. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, good, uh, good change of pace here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to, though, because that's the way I put them in the etherpad and I'm not really into really jumping around. So the first uh, story I saw when I was browsing around the Internet that so- sounded interesting to me, and I'd actually heard about this on uh, Facebook and Google Plus and a couple of other people had mentioned it is that uh suddenly in places like colorado where where pot is now being grown quite a bit it's causing a problem for ham radio operators of all things uh, a recent story in usa today and in the associated press came from the colorado newspaper reports that a new source of interference is showing up for amateur radio operators and that inf- you know that interference is the grow lights for marijuana operations this was uh, reported by a ham radio operator, Tom Thompson, Whiskey Zero India, Victor Juliet, of the Boulder area, who discovered RF interference, which he traced uh, using direction-finding equipment to the ballast of grow lights coming from some of his neighbors out in Colorado. Uh, Thompson reported his findings to the ARRL and posted a page about the problem on the web. And the ARRL has produced information about the problem at a link on its website and recommends that... If you know the person, you can go and talk to them about adding filters or chokes to their grow light installation to help mitigate the interference, but suggest that if you don't happen to know these people, that you should probably stay away from them and report it to local authorities because you don't know what you're getting involved with because while marijuana has become legal in Colorado, you know there are probably still people who are doing it illegally and you have no idea what kind of cartels or strange people you might be dealing with who are using these grow lights and stuff like that the links to both the information that uh, whiskey zero india victor juliet posted about his experience and the response from the arrl uh will be in the show notes if you're interested in uh checking out this little this new problem of uh pop growers interfering with ham radio which i thought was hilarious actually well, that is funny, but uh, ballasts are notoriously uh, uh, RF uh, uh, emitters, and uh, they will uh, mess with all types of uh, electronic equipment. Personally, I've had an experience with a fluorescent light, uh, which uh, played havoc with my uh, computer. Uh, random crashes, and actually watching the, uh, the cursor move across the screen, apparently possessed. And it was all due to a uh, faulty uh, fluorescent light ballast. And an uh, electrician came in and replaced the light and uh, the ballast, and uh, everything calmed down. So hopefully the uh, LED lights will be a little bit uh, better as far as RF uh, radiation goes. I just wonder how many grow lights or how, you know, how big and powerful these things actually must be to be causing interference across you know, distances like larger than the space of a garage, for example. Because you know, your average TV set or light bulbs or stuff like that don't generally cause interference with somebody who's you know, in the next house. So uh, are these things just poorly made or are there just so many of them that they cause interference or what was that? One thing I didn't put in the story was that it was causing most of the interference in the 40 meter band. So I'm not sure if that's something specific to the, the grow light ballasts or, or what, but um, I guess if you're trying to get on 40 meters next to somebody smoking pot, you could have some trouble. I didn't actually read the follow-up stories like the ARRL info and in the blog post uh, by the ham that was affected and mentioned in this story. So if you want to find out all of the great little details about this, the links will be in the show notes and you go ahead and check them out. I'll probably do that after the show. 
as if we don't have enough to deal with with uh, broadcast transmission and shortwave from across the seas and everything. Now you got to worry about your pothead neighbors. So uh, I also found a story uh, written by Gary Newell at a blog called Everyday Linux User. And uh, this was five reasons why you should switch from Windows XP to Lubuntu. I kind of substituted Linux for Lubuntu in this article, but a lot of the points he makes are very good. And I will summarize his five points here, which are that uh, Windows XP is now dead. We, I think we've talked about this on previous episodes and that Microsoft has ended support for, for Windows XP, which doesn't mean anything as far as the operation of Windows XP, but it does mean that you are now operating a giant security time bomb. Uh, if you choose to continue to run Windows XP. So switching to Linux is a good option because things like Lubuntu continue to be supported while Windows XP does not. The second reason might be that you have older hardware, uh, something like a less powerful laptop or desktop, which can run Windows XP but may not effectively run something like Windows 7 or Windows 8, and therefore you need to find some operating system that will run on your older hardware. Linux is definitely a good choice for that. The third thing is that you might be running a netbook or a small laptop, which has some specific hardware limitations like limited RAM or limited hard disk space uh, and smaller screen real estate, which may not lend itself to running things like Windows 7 or Windows 8, which are desktop intensive, whereas the desktops provided by the Lubuntu distribution, which are based on uh, XFCE, I believe, or similar lightweight desktops, don't have all of those requirements. His fourth point was that you could use Windows XP and Lubuntu with the same sort of familiarity as each other because the general layout of the desktop is the same. You have a start button in the lower left-hand corner. You have your system tray in the lower right-hand corner, your applications across the bottom, your icons on the desktop, and a screen that looks more or less like Windows XP. So the learning curve is basically flat, and it's an easy migration. What he chooses to leave out of this is that none of the applications, or very few of the applications that you run under Windows will run under Linux. Of course, you have to find alternatives for those which, which do not, or that aren't cross-platform. But for the sake of argument, we'll just go ahead and forget about that. And the last point for him was long-term support. Of course, Windows XP support is expired, and Linux looks to be supported in either the Lubuntu version or Ubuntu uh, LTS or in any of the other distributions for at least three years. And of course, Linux support should be going for as long as people are willing to develop it and who knows how long that will be. And I chose to add a sixth reason why you might want to switch from Windows to Lubuntu or a similar distribution is that Ubuntu, like all Debian-based distributions, has a wide variety of amateur radio software included in the default repos. Uh, so you can get rid of your ham radio deluxe and use something good. Well, I think it's a very good story. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know when I started off in uh, computer science back in the 70s. Uh, I was taking Fortran on the punch cards, doing that that whole routine. And uh, the, the mainframe was the size of a room. The only thing I could make work was make it uh, spot out profanities, print out profanities. And I thought that was fun, but that was my extent of my computer uh, science training. And many years later, uh, I got back into it and, and uh, found that uh, Ubuntu, uh, or just Linux in general, was just so, so far superior to anything, especially the uh, Windows boxes. Just really fell in love with it. I've been using it ever since. It's, it's just a great, uh, it's a great story, and, and I, I agree with most of the points there. 
and especially the ham radio stuff already built into Debian. It's fantastic. I mean, what more could you want? In my opinion, XP was kind of Microsoft's last good operating system. Obviously, Vista improved a bit on having extra drivers and just and that hoorah. But, I mean, the, the simplicity of the interface, it was at the point where style meant or style met ease of use. Like Vista, you started getting into way too much style and way too little ease of use, or things are just a little half-baked. I remember reading an article about Microsoft developers, or a Microsoft developer mentioned the the main differences in Microsoft, you're cheered for making something big and new, whereas in Linux, you're cheered for squashing that bug um, that's been driving people nuts for the past five minutes since it was last announced. so, I mean, it's a completely different mindset in the open source community. I use XP. I, I never liked or used Vista, um, except for one card game at a friend's place. Uh, my brother has Windows 7 on a laptop, but that's mainly because he wants to play uh, Windows-only games. Windows XP was, Windows, was Microsoft's probably second best operating system. It took me a little while to sort of see the benefits of Windows 7, but once I saw the benefits of Windows 7, the the advanced hardware support, um, the ability to run 64-bit applications in a decent way and just sort of the overall performance benefits that you got, you know, once they sort of fixed the initial hiccups when Windows 7 was released, it was truly the best of the best when it comes to Windows 7, not counting Windows 2000, which is kind of a, a whole different animal. I spent a lot of time using that in a corporate environment. But uh, for the home user, I think Windows 7 was the best. The only drawback to it was its sort of advanced uh, system requirements. Windows XP was definitely better about that. Its support for some hardware, especially newer hardware, could also be problematic. Where Windows XP is gone and where Windows 8 tends to not be people's favorite upgrade path, you should definitely look at Linux as an alternative. We're done with that story, and this next story actually came from Cheryl. Cheryl dug this one up, so I'm going to wake her up, and she's going to read this one. But I was happily snoozing. I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm going to make you work for it. All right, fine. Be that way. I will. Okay, so the next story is QRZ.com announces a right-click Chrome browser extension. And if you're a user of Google's Chrome browser, then QRZ.com publisher Fred Lloyd... AA7BQ has something that will make using his website a lot more efficient and enjoyable. Lloyd announced that he's published a free browser extension that will let you highlight and right-click on any call sign on any web page from any website and instantly perform a QRZ lookup. No copying and pasting or typing in the call on a separate page is required. The new app is now available in the Chrome Web Store. Just search for right-click QRZ. And you're the only person that I know who doesn't say QRZ when they say QRZ. <laughs> that's that's sort of like the British interpretation of QRZ, but even people in the United States still call it QRZ. I actually downloaded this extension after I saw this story and checked it out, and it works flawlessly with the one exception that it does what I hate about QRZ.com which is that you have to log into qrz.com to get any information about the call sign you've just looked up, which is totally ridiculous because you don't have to do that to get the information from the FCC's ULS database. You don't have to do it to get it from HamQTH. 
or as far as I know, any of the other call sign lookup utilities in the world, QRZ.com has decided that in order to find the address, grid square, or any other information about a call sign, you must log into their website first, which I think is nuts. And if you, you know, download this extension, go to a web page, double click on the call sign, right click and select lookup in QRZ.com. It will take you to QRZ.com and then say, in order to see all the information on this website, you must log in. I got to say that's insane. I w- I've said it before. I've said it probably a hundred times. I'm going to say it for the hundred and first time. Take away the login requirement or... I'm looking at you, Peter, OK2CQR. Make one of these Chrome extensions for hamqth.com so we don't have to use this ridiculous qrz.com extension. Because it works. It does what it says it does. But this login thing is just stupid. I agree with that. Hamqth needs one of these uh, extensions for Chrome and for Firefox and uh, for uh, every uh, browser. I think it'd be fantastic. And I don't know why we need to log in and uh, and uh, do do that. There's something else going on in the background that... Maybe getting uh, names together, uh, how many uh, hits, how many eyeballs, and he could uh, maybe make some money off of that some way. I'm not sure uh, with uh, QRZ, but uh, yeah, MQTH needs to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I may even email Peter and see if he's willing to do that. Or, you know, the thing of it is, I believe, at least as far as Mozilla's um, API for creating plugins, I'm pretty sure it's open. I imagine Google's is as well. So assuming that it's not too steep a learning curve for me to figure out their API structure, I might may write one of these myself, uh, but it would probably be easier just to talk to Peter and have him do it since he's the one who's already written hamqth.com because I'd have to learn both APIs, and I'm not sure I'm up to that. One way or another, we'll get this done so we can stop using qrz.com. I, I used to love that site, but now I can't stand it. I can remember a time when uh, uh, qrz.com did not require logins for such information. Yeah, back when it was good. That was quite a while ago. (laughs) It was quite a while ago. You know what that Uh, means? It means it sucked for years. Now, just curious, does uh, HamQTH have automatic database imports, or do you have to add your call sign manually? Like, you have to go and sign up for the site, so to speak. Now, what I should do is point you to the inter- the interview we did in episode number 128 with the author of HamQTH, wherein he answered that question, but I will just answer it for you. He actually imports all of the data that he can get, to get his hands on publicly. Um, that includes the FCC's call sign database, I believe the British call sign database, and several other databases around the world. But if you are not listed in those publicly accessible data stores, then it has to be hand-entered. But there's a lot of data that's already there that that he's already pre-imported. Because I know the one major drawback for QRZ.com for uh, Canadian operators is that it's only a automatic import of uh, U.S. databases. The, the Canadian call sign database from Industry Canada is publicly available, but uh, they the people at QRZ just haven't chosen to uh, import it on a regular basis. I, I don't. If it is publicly available, then I'm sure if it's not already in hamqth.com that you could email Peter and tell him, here's where the data is, go ahead and import it, and he would. But I haven't even looked up some Canadian call signs to find out if the data is in there. I looked up yours, and your data is in there. It should have a picture of me sitting on a dock by uh, Perseira. It does, but did you have to hand enter your call sign and your your information, or was it our, or was the the basic info already there? I'm not sure. I, th- I think the basic info might have already been there, but I don't remember. We have a direct line to the author, so we can find out for sure. 
And uh, I'm sure if that data is available to be imported, uh, he would be more than willing to import it if he hasn't done so already. I can try a few call signs of uh, people who I know <laughs> probably wouldn't even know about the site and uh, see if they show up. Well, I looked up the call sign of Chuck, one of our listeners, Victor Echo 3, Victor Sierra Alpha, and his data is in there with with no other information. Like he hasn't customized it. There's no email address and stuff like that. But where he lives and his Canadian address and grid square are there. So my guess is that and some sort of import was done. With that, that's it for the first segment of the show. And we get to our first bit of music. This particular bit of music is sort of a... I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of a funky, grungy, sort of metal guitar-oriented track, which is a lot of the stuff that I kind of like when I look around Jamendo. Uh, it's by a group called Drop Alive, and the album is also called Drop Alive, and the track is called Try Another Way. The group is Italian, was released in 2007, so that's uh, seven years ago now. But I think it's a good one, so we'll we'll put this one on, and we'll see what people think when we come back on the other side.
Try Another Way by Drop Alive from the album Drop Alive, courtesy of Jamendo from back in 2007. So, any comments about that particular track? Good, bad, otherwise, sucked, don't play it again, ever? <laughs> it was very gritty, a lot of energy. Uh, I don't know if that's really my cup of tea, but uh, I can appreciate it. Well, I like somebody who likes who can appreciate music they don't like. See, because because I do that too. I I, under, I recognize when when uh, something is good of a particular genre, even if I don't particularly like it. Harrison, any thoughts? I know you're kind of a youngin. Not exactly my cup of tea, but uh, it, I I can't say it was horrible. <laughs> I can't exactly sing phrases. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's okay. I'm I'm not even sure what your cup of tea is. I'm not sure we have time to go down this rat hole. But um, <laughs> I think baroque music from the 1600s. Okay, then we're really going to be far off on the things that I pick. <laughs> that and 1960s pop music. How old are you? <laughs> I'm uh, 17. Just to throw that in there to shake things up one night sounds like it would be a lot of fun, actually. Next time, our second track will have harpsichord. It'll probably be something like digitally munged harpsichord, but, <laughs> you know, you know, I imagine there's probably a group out there somewhere that is using, about, you know, harpsichord. Carlos? I'm sorry? How about Wendy Carlos, Walter what? Carlos? Walter Carlos, that's a name I haven't yeah. heard before. Uh, Swiss John Bach, hmm. I believe. Uh, he did the, uh, or he, she, he, uh, he had a sex change operation. Uh, did the music for Clockwork Orange. Oh, okay, I know of it. That would be uh, sort of like along those lines. Unfortunately, I'm guessing that stuff is not Creative Commons. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I bet. No, that's okay. You can suggest anything you like, we just can't play it. <laughs> We should probably move on. Okay. I got an email about a post, and I think this was from KB6NU's blog or KE8P's blog. I can't remember which one. Uh, so there's a plug for both. It was about a story that was printed in the Business Insider Australia uh, online news column uh, by a guy named Dylan Love who talks about the concept of amateur radio as a social network, similar to Twitter or Facebook or, or um, Snapchat, Instagram, or, or any of the other social networks that have popped up on the Internet, which I thought was a really cool take on amateur radio because what is amateur radio if not a social network? It doesn't happen on the Internet necessarily. I mean, it can now using things like Echolink and IRLP. So this is a guy who's newly exposed to the ham radio hobby, and he talks about it, and he takes it as a populist movement like social media, which is exactly the way it should be taken, I think. But the great thing about ham radio is it also includes other cool things like knowledge of science, radio wave propagation, sunspots, solar storms, radio frequency energy, magnetism, and lots of cool things to learn as opposed to just posting your thoughts in 140 characters or less and talking about your dogs, kids, the day you had, etc., etc. Now you can do it in 140 characters, but you have your choice of mode. Yeah, that's right. You can you could do it in 140 characters if you want to because I mean there's packet you can do all of this with ham radio, and I think this guy has a great outlook. And I don't want to really like go down and enumerate his points because we're going to post the link to his column so that you can go ahead and read it. And I think everybody who listens to this should go ahead and read it because it is fantastic. It's a great piece of writing. But what he does talk about is the things that he really likes about the hobby, the things that attracted him to the hobby, the things that brought him in. 
and the things that keep him wanting to be a ham radio operator. He talks about the hobby being an art based on communications, socially acceptable way of initiating live conversation with people all over the world, which is the same thing you do in a social media network. You are interacting and connected with people regardless of where they are. And ham radio predates the internet. It predates all of this. So this was around this hobby that we participate in has been around way before things like Twitter. They're just sort of reinventing the wheel. We're doing, we have been doing all of this for as long as it's been possible for the human race to do these things. And we can do it in so many different ways. We can do it via text over digital modes. We can do it via voice. We can do it via PSK 31. You can do it via teletype, you know, back you could, you could actually have a transmitter and would actually print out data so you could read it. I mean, you have SSTV, so that's your uh, Instagram. That's true. You have SSTV. And then, and then you have ATV for your YouTube. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. All of this stuff was around before these, they've been sort of usurped or taken over by the internet community. Ham radio has actually sort of had to evolve back into the ham or the internet community by now being able to do things like transmit VOIP data over the internet to extend the range of ham radio. That to me is really cool too. So this guy talks about his journey, getting his ticket, getting interested in it and all the things that he likes about ham radio. He talks about how to properly build your station or what he thinks are the best ideas for obtaining equipment, for getting your license, for becoming a ham radio operator, and for really immersing yourself in the hobby and becoming involved as a ham radio operator and really sets about a method for enjoying the hobby. Because I think some people are in the hobby and they don't particularly enjoy it, whether it's because they never really got involved, so they got a license, they went through the testing process, and then they never picked up a microphone, or it's become a chore, or all of their friends are just kind of getting on the air and like hassle everyone, or for whatever reason, they don't really enjoy being a ham radio operator, but this guy seems to really enjoy the hobby. And then he also talks about doing things online, doing things over the air, uh, lots of simple information about like getting to know the lingo, and then he talks about why he enjoys ham radio. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this a little bit. It says, unlike modern social networking sites, ham radio has an inherent emphasis on listening and understanding other people. It's perfectly acceptable to repeat things back to someone in order to make sure you're hearing them or her correctly. It stands in stark contrast to the general snark found on Twitter and the subtle boasting too easily found on Facebook. Hams usually just want to have interesting conversations with genuine people and as soon as I learned this, everything clicked together. I've come to think of it as additive conversational tennis, except there's nothing to win, and that's a good thing. Over the course of a QSO, the more details one volunteers on his end, and the more he inquires about the other person, or what the other person volunteers, the more everyone enjoys the hobby. Ham radio can alternately teach or reinforce good conversational skills. And for anyone who's actually texted anyone lately or seen the general lack of communication and grammar skills on social media networks, I think his point about making ham radio sort of the opposite of that is a good and valid one. And then he says there's also something mighty cool about being able to communicate using electromagnetism, one of nature's most curious properties. And there's some early stuff where he talks about using the Earth itself, itself being a giant magnet, to propagate communications around the globe. 
And when you think about all of these things, which some of us may or may not do on a day-to-day basis when we when we operate ham radio, it's, it's kind of neat because it, it's, he's still he's so new to the hobby, he's still filled with the wonder of it. And I think everybody should read this and remember the wonder that they once felt when they started in the hobby. And the reason I think this is good and that everybody should read it is because we're coming up on field day. And I think field day is widely recognized as ham radio's sort of let's get ourselves out there, let's introduce ourselves to the world, let's get people interested in our hobby. I kind of put down some like talking points that I wanted to address regarding both this article and field day. I kind of want to hear from you guys. This, this is why I wanted people other than just me talking about this to talk about this because I have my own thoughts and you guys have your thoughts. So I kind of want you to kind of look down through this list and let's let's talk about these things, these questions that I've asked. So the first thing I, I came up with is what can you do with ham radio? So let's look at it from the perspective of the people who are here in the chat with me. What do you guys do with ham radio? What's the thing that sort of like revs your engine when you guys do ham radio? Okay, I was going to say it's just like you said uh, earlier about the wonderment of it all. It's just amazing to me, knowing the physics, knowing the uh, the math behind it, or the physics behind it, somewhat, not not hundred percent, but still uh, able to uh, communicate with someone halfway around the world. Uh, you call, you give out your call sign, and then someone in Poland or Russia or wherever, just down the street, comes back to you. And that, to me, that's just so amazing that we could do that. That that's that's. Uh, it just it fills me with wonder how that happens, and and uh, it gives me gives me a rush every time I get online um, on uh, my radio and and uh, play ham radio. It's it's awesome, it really is. And what can't you do? I mean, there's so much uh, from building antennas to building your own uh, QRP rig to whatever. It's just it's a great hobby, and uh, you can devote your entire life to it. I hit every aspect of it. It's just it's a never ending learning experience, and that's what I like the most about ham radio. All right. Well, can I? What gets me going? Um, something just recently that I kind of got excited about was I was listening on uh two, or I just had my two meter radio tuned to the local repeater, and all of a sudden I started hearing. It was quite fuzzy, but I was hearing conversations, and upon some looking into the call signs, I heard and uh, the general gist of what was being discussed. Um, I was hearing a Massachusetts repeater, uh, so there's a little bit of ionospheric stuff, and, and getting VHF-type stuff, or v- long-distance VHF contacts, uh, that, that's just cool in my mind, that where most people just settle for 2-meter line of sight or 70-centimeter line of sight, not in 6 meters yet, so I can't really comment on that, but it, just the idea of doing the rare aspects of it that and also um toying with ideas on equipment unfortunately never getting around to building them but uh i'm i'm kind of the uh the hand in a sense the hands-on with building equipment like designing circuit boards for transmit receive switches and uh, also it's kind of the rare aspect of amateur radio yeah, and the thing of it is, you could I think you could ask a hundred different people what the thing is that really gets them going about amateur radio, and they would probably have a hundred different answers. And that's the great thing about it because there is mo- there is more things to do with the hobby than we can that are being done or that can even be imagined. I've heard it this way: uh, you can go to a club meeting with thirty people, ask them how to make a folded dipole antenna, get thirty-two answers, and five of them don't know what they're talking about. 
and one of them may work and they don't even know it. Let me see if Cheryl's paying attention. As someone who doesn't actually have a ham radio license and who has in the past not shown any real enthusiasm about being a ham radio operator, is there something you would find enjoyable about the hobby if you were to become one? I'm not sure. It's, it's, I keep, I'm kind of on the fence about getting my license, as you know, but I'm not sure that because of the way I live my life now, I'm not sure that I would have time for it or if I would, you know, encounter anyone online that are, you know, on the radio that actually had anything of interest to me. Oh, but you like to talk to people and see, that's what you do in ham radio is you talk to people about anything, everything. It doesn't really matter. And the and the great part about it is once you get your license, whether or not you pick up a microphone or a key or a computer interface on a daily basis doesn't really matter because in times of trouble, when amateur radio communication is the only thing left, you can always jump in to help. And if you don't have that ticket, you can't do that. You can't be a part of the solution. So even if you don't use it on a daily basis, even if there's something that doesn't reach out and grab you and say, oh, I really want to participate in this because it sounds really cool. I know you like to help people. I know you like to be a part of the community and and an asset and, and a facilitator for people, especially in times of trouble, because I know you help out your friends a lot when things are bad. If nothing else, you should get your ham radio ticket just so you can be prepared and be a part of that if any of it should actually happen. Well, that was my intention on hamvention, but that kind of fell apart, as you all know, because testing was no longer held there. Maybe uh, I'll find testing nearby somewhere. Well, they, they do testing over in Aurora. We'll, we'll get it done one way or another because I've still got I've still got to get my ass in gear and uh, get studied so I can pass my extra test. Uh, we'll get you involved. Do testing in Mount Vernon. Okay. Well, wherever it is, it's somewhere close. We'll we'll get both of us involved, more involved here, pretty quick. Okay. Let's see. I guess we don't need to go over some of these questions that I asked. I mean, how did you get started? Everybody sort of has their own reasons why they got started in the in the hobby, and it often comes down to I'm interested in electronics. I like making things work. I like to see how science works. I like talking to people. You know, there's. There's any number of reasons why you got into this. Uh, basic equipment. We might all have different thoughts about what kind of basic equipment that, uh, that you need, but I think the, the minimum equipment you need is basically a VHF radio, like a handy talkie. And, uh, of course, with the, the new influx of Chinese radios, you can get into the hobby for less than $30 now, plus the cost of uh, taking your test. Uh, which is minimal at, at best, $50 or less, you can be into the hobby, licensed, and participating in ham radio. But is there anything in the starter ham shack that you think you might need for sure, like definite, like you've got to have, other than a basic radio? I'd have to say the number one thing that everyone should have, even if it's not a permanent thing, like for due to zoning or annoying stuff like that, is a good antenna. My only complaint for those, uh, as I call them, cheap Chinese handy talkies, is that the antennas aren't really great. So having a good antenna, even one, or even just getting a mag mount that you set on like uh, a metal wastebasket by your window, uh, something like that, if you want to do it from your home, in like a, a, a kind of a base station ham shack, a good antenna is the number one thing that you should consider. Powering everything, the antenna is what counts. I agree with that. I think you need a really uh, good antenna. They don't have to be expensive. Uh, you can make a really nice wire dipole, which is what I use, 
and uh, I'm able to uh, to work just about everywhere with it. So it doesn't have to be expensive. You just have to follow a few simple rules, and you can have a, a dynamite antenna uh, for very little money. So, yeah, that's very important. All right. It sounds good. So uh, a simple radio, whether you decide to spend a little more money than someone else, maybe, uh, you can get in very cheap, but make sure you have a decent antenna to propagate that signal. I guess that is the consensus. That is the most important thing. And I think you ask almost anyone, they'll tell you that very same thing. (laughs) This was an interesting question I found in the article, which was how do you find someone to talk to? And there really is one very simple answer to this thing. Once you've taken your test, you know what frequencies that you are allowed to operate on. So what you do is you get a radio or you go to somebody's house who has a radio or you go to a field day setup or something where people are operating, you get on a frequency that you're allowed to operate on, you call CQ. I guarantee you within a few minutes, you will find someone to talk to. That's the great thing about this. There's really no effort required to find somebody to talk to. There's someone out there looking to talk to you. Unless, of course, you're me, in which case I can spend half an hour and not find anyone. (laughs) I guess that's just you then. Harrison's a weird case. No one wants to talk to him. But anybody else will talk to you. <laughs> I'd just probably pick, pick all the dead bands. This is what? kind of strange here in, in uh, around the Indiana area. We, we seem to have a lot of repeaters. We get a lot of people using repeaters that are passing through. So you can, you can talk to someone uh, going from you know, one part of the country to the other, and they're passing through uh, Indianapolis. And you can talk, uh, talk to those people, but uh, you know mobile rigs. But... Uh, I find that uh, the VHF uh, scene here isn't uh, just isn't very big. It's more uh, HF. I find so it's a matter of getting on, uh, let's say, uh, forty meters and just starting at the uh, the bottom of, the, of that band and just slowly turn that knob until you find someone, or just find an empty spot and, and call out to CQ. Yeah, I mean, you really just have to jump on and get out there. If you want somebody to talk to, there is somebody to talk to you, uh, regardless of band mode, time of day, whatever. You can find somebody. The next part of this was that I sort of wanted to integrate it with the upcoming field day because it is upcoming. It's coming up in, uh, it's not next weekend, but the weekend after. And that is ham radio's sort of big day. It's worldwide. It's American field day, but I mean, everybody participates in it. I mean, everybody knows what it is around the world. It doesn't matter if you're here or there or wherever. I have my own thoughts about whether or not field day is a training exercise, whether it's a tool for the ARRL and similar entities to get people involved in the hobby, whether it's a contest, some amalgam of all of these things. I'm not sure it matters really what you think field day is. What's important is that you participate in it if you can, whether or not you are already a ham radio operator. One of the great things about field day is that most stations allow non-hams to operate if you know where a field day site is in there you know part of field day is like you get points for advertising the fact that you're doing field day so finding field day events is not hard you you don't have to look very far to find one so if you're interested in the hobby at all you just go there and you can participate now i know and we've talked about this before that some ham radio clubs and some ham radio operators can be kind of clicky they may not be as welcoming as they should be. And I, this is, I would tell everyone who participates in field day that regardless of your feelings about ham radio of the hobby or your own operating practice, you should welcome everybody into the hobby. You should Elmer, you should be welcoming. You should let everyone participate in whatever way they choose to participate in it because we need people in this hobby 
and there's no point in being a jerk at your field day site. Yeah, some people look at field day as a hardcore contest. You couldn't drag them away from their HF rig with a pack of wild dogs. And that to me is completely wrong. Field day is not a contest. It's an opportunity to explore the hobby and to let people in to ham radio and to see what it's all about and to participate. I'd be interested to hear if anyone has a different opinion of what field day is. I think we can kind of agree that that's what it is. And it's not really a contest. It's not about the points. It's not about being, you know, number one in QST magazine when this is all said and done. It's about getting the word out and being the community that ham, ham radio is supposed to be. If it gets people on the air and it gets uh, exposure to, uh, to new hams or new people might become hams, I think it's a good thing. I think uh, this is ham radio, sort of one real event for doing that. I mean, there are opportunities all the time, but they're not as publicized. They're not as open necessarily as field day is. I mean, I think field day is the sort of annual opportunity to really expose people to the hobby. And it should be looked at that way, not not as a contest. No, I don't wow. think it's a contest either. Yeah, this year, I'm kind of... I guess you could say an integral part of the West Island Amateur Radio Club's field day, uh, volunteering as the uh, PR manager. And uh, one of the things that was discussed, there was a big survey taken of the, it's a joint club operation, but uh, there was a big survey taken of all the, the usual participants. Most people said, I mean, the points are nice, but it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a uh, priority. In my mind, in a sense, the points are kind of there to gauge to see how well your location performed in in the overall scheme of things. For example, you can get bonus points for doing things other than operating. I mean, your your QSOs and all that, they add up to a lot. But like you get in blocks of 20, though, but if you get five new people to get on the air, I think that requires some special go-to station. I... I'm trying to remember the rules here on the fly. But, like, you get 100 points just for getting five people on the air. And, uh, obviously, that you are making QSOs that way. But, like, yeah, you get so many points for be, for inviting local dignitaries or in, inviting the local news media or things along those lines. So so it's it's kind of the, as Russ mentioned, it's the, the get the amateur radio out there so people can see it. All, all too often, well, not not necessarily for bad reasons, but... For example, in an emergency, like a- amateur radio show up, do their job, take down, and leave. And I mean, during the emergency, no one really cares who's communicating as long as someone is communicating. So the no no one really gets any spotlight until it's all over. And when it's all over, the the heroes and those people who did acts of courage, they get. Um, but the the backbone of uh, com- of the people who did the communications don't so. Field Day is a great way to get the public side just a little bit off, I guess you could say, the Internet of Things, and onto some more traditional forms of communication. I wholeheartedly agree. So, And I hope that the clubs and the operators will take Field Day for the spirit that it's in and try and get as many people as they possibly can involved in the hobby, especially those who are not yet involved. I don't think it's that difficult just inviting people to listen, to watch, and to participate if they want to um, is well worth what minimal effort it takes. So 
Uh, because Field Day is coming up, I just wanted to put that out there and hope that Field Day goes off great this year and that it is handled in the spirit in which it is intended and that we get lots of new people interested in amateur radio. Two quick points before you move on. Sure. I added a link to the show notes, so it will be in the show notes for this episode. But if you want to find a Field Day location, the uh, American Radio Relay League has a field day locator, and that's arrl.org slash field-day-locator. Fairly simple. And also, the second point is if you know for sure that either your coordinator or you are the coordinator, and your field day is not in this database, please let the ARL know, so that way other people know where to find a field day operation. Absolutely, and there are lots of them out there, so check check the field-day-locator page on the ARRL website so you can find the one closest to you, get out there and participate. And I know most people who don't listen to or who aren't ham radio operators are probably not listening to this. So the people who are ham radio operators who are listening to this need to let the people who aren't know where to go and get them involved. So with that, we need to move on to our second bit of music. Uh, The second bit of music is along the same lines as the first bit of music for those who of us who are into jazz and 16th century baroque music are not going to get into this it's another italian group called real illusion this uh, song is called break and it's from an album called w and b streets uh this one came out this year nary a month ago march 5th of 2014 so brand new music from real illusion and i really like this one i think even people who like jazz might might actually like this song so we'll go ahead and listen to it and then maybe we'll talk about it for a minute Something else creates a bomb, but when it heals you, we're born again. Finally, you're 
Break by Real Illusion, courtesy of Jamendo. So, what do we think of that one? It was good. I liked that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I must say I did enjoy that one a little bit better than the first one. Yeah, nice up-tempo. had a great guitar hook in it. That's the reason I picked that one. If you like guitar music, that that's one of those ones where if you're not careful, your your foot tends to press a little harder on the accelerator when you're going down the road kind of song. Uh, those are some of my favorites. That's where the snooze control comes in handy. The snooze control? What the hell is that? <laughs> that's what my cousin calls cruise control. <laughs> oh, I see. You said it, fall asleep, crash, kill somebody, and die. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. That's nice. Well, this last segment got jam-packed. We got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Luckily, these are all kind of short, so we'll try and uh, get through them here real quick. And the first thing I've got to do is send out a hello to uh, Bill Smith, Whiskey Bravo 4, Bravo Bravo Charlie, who is the co-host over at Going Linux. And the only reason I'm doing this is to prove to those guys over there at Going Linux that we actually do listen to their show because he said something about, oh, well, you should talk to or you should send out a hello or a 7-3 or something to to, uh, to me, K5TUX over here at Linux in the Ham Shack. So I'm sending one back over to Bill, WB4BBC. Uh, we do listen to the show. I think Going Linux is a great podcast. Uh, for those people who are a little uh, newer to the hobby or who may or may not be listening to this and really into ham radio, if you just want to know about you know cool stuff regarding computing, open source, Linux, stuff like that, you could do a lot worse than checking out the Going Linux podcast. Go check those guys out there. Larry Bushy's a great guy. Bill also. Uh, we kind of missed Tom Chaudoir, who is uh, no longer a part of the show. Maybe he's out there fixing airplane engines while they're flying or whatever it is he's doing that they used to do. Oh, those guys are all doing great. And 7-3 to Larry and Bill from Linux in the Hamshack. Moving on, I want to announce or announce something that I already announced over on Twitter that we're trying to get up to... 500 followers over on Twitter. We want everybody who's who's on this show to follow us on Twitter. If you have a Twitter account, tell all your friends to follow us over on Twitter. I think we're up to like 377 followers right now. So we do have a little bit of a way to go. We're at LHS Podcast over on Twitter. But once we reach 500 Twitter followers, I'm going to be giving away a handy talkie, a Baofeng handy talkie, dual bander, with all of the standard accessories. Everyone who is a Twitter follower, when we hit 500, will be entered into that contest, as well as all paid subscribers to the show, whether or not you are a follower of us over on Twitter. Everybody will be entered to win that, and one lucky person will get it. So share it over on Twitter. Tell everybody to follow us. We follow you back so we can keep track of what all of our listeners are doing. We love you guys. And like I said, once we reach 500, we're giving away a radio. You want to get in on that. And then Cheryl has put in the next two topics. And since the the first one talks about Chinese words and Chinese pronunciation, I definitely think she needs to read it. Yes, well, my mother was the one who lived in Japan, so she'd be better at this than I would be. But anyway, uh, and it kind of has something to do with your comment about somebody wanting a radio if we make 500 Twitter followers. Uh, Baofeng changes its name to Po Fung. Radio supplier Baofeng has changed its product distribution name to Po Fung for all sales outside China. In an announcement on its website, the company says that it feels it's time to adapt its brand to the global stage. 
It notes that the current name Baofeng is a literal translation of its Chinese character name, and as such, it may be difficult for the hobbyist elsewhere in the world to pronounce. The company says that its new product name of Feng is easier to pronounce and more friendly to its customers while maintaining the phonetic symbolism of the brand. The company's official web domain will remain unchanged. The website is www.baofengradio.com, which is Bravo Alpha Oscar, Foxtrot Echo November, Golf Romeo Alpha Delta India Oscar, baofengradio.com. Now, the thing about this is, I think the Chinese are a little weird about this because I was at Hamvention and I didn't see anyone having any trouble saying the word Baofeng, and I sure as hell didn't see anyone having any trouble finding all of the booths that were selling Baofeng radios and buying them in mass quantities. So I'm not sure what this name change is going to do for folks other than to confuse things, but I'm pretty sure the United States and Canada and the rest of the world were pretty comfortable finding and purchasing Baofeng radios. We just got the name down. I mean, we, it, took, it took years, but we finally got Baofeng. We understand what it is, and now they're changing it to something more friendly. Why don't they call it Steve or something like that? <laughs> no, you can't call it Steve because that's every Indian help desk worker. They're okay. all named Steve. Steve or Austin or Jeremy. Well, Steve is also the default character in Minecraft, believe it or not. So you can't exactly use that because most we'll call it probably... We'll call it Biff. Biff, yeah, there we go. Everybody knows Biff, okay. I wonder if Biff translated into Chinese. I'm betting it doesn't. Well, I don't know. It's like <laughs> it might be. Too, you know, you get say it however you want to say it. We still know what it is. That's true. I really didn't have any issue saying Baofeng or Wusun or any of the other Chinese electronics and whatnot that comes out of the country, so... Uh, who knows what they're thinking. Now we have to all call them Pofungs. But the sad thing about it is yeah. you have to call it Pofung, but you still have to go to Baofung Radio to get one. Seems like you go to Baofung to get the Pofung. But anyway, uh, Cheryl has the next story as well. So, And since this is about Hamvention and we were there, and it like actually contradicts the comments we made about Hamvention in the last episode, um, we should go ahead and read this one. Hamvention 2014, the numbers are in. Seems like every year after the close of Hamvention, there's a big guessing game as to the attendance numbers. Long ago, it was just between hams talking on the telephone. But since the advent of the World Wide Web, it's kind of become an online sport or some such. While the final results are now in, the number was announced at a recent meeting of the Dayton Amateur Radio Association by this year's Assistant General Chairman, Jim Tiderman... In eight ideas. He said, those who guessed close to 25,000 were the closest. The actual number was 24,873. So, how does this compare with years past? In 2013, 24,542 hams made the trek to Hamvention for a net increase of 333, 331 attendees this year. Sorry, It's also way up from 2008 when only 17,250 showed up at the Hera Arena gates. The bottom line is that the world's economy improves, so does the number of visitors to Dayton Amvention, and that's good news for everyone concerned. Now, I would like to add, regarding Hamvention, to the one person that does this every year, thank you very much. I know Russ forgot to mention that last time. And secondly, as far as I know, nothing major happened this year. 
So maybe it wasn't just the fact that I was going to Hamvention and toilets would explode and stuff because I was there and nothing happened. So. Yeah, I, I didn't hear about any major catastrophes at Hamvention this year. It all seemed to go very smoothly. And yes, I did. I was negligent in mentioning the donation uh, this year as I have in the past years, but we, we don't know who it is. We can never spot them when they do it. And the thing of it is, this this year in particular, the donation was made into our little donation bin with no other money in it. Somehow, someone managed just to sneak a very, well, I want to say very large because it's not like $10,000 or something like that. But anyway, it's a, it's a it's a larger than typical donation for a listener of the show. Every year, someone sneaks in a sizable donation into our box, and we never see it happen. We don't know who it is, but at the end of Saturday, it's always Saturday, there is a large donation in our box. And you can tell it's a, sing- a singular donation because it's always wrapped up you know, together, so you can see it. It usually happens that there's a bunch of donations in the box, and it's, it's among them. Um, so it's so it's well hidden. But this time, it was the only donation in the box when it happened, and we still didn't see it happen. So we're not sure how this is even possible. But thank you very much to whoever is doing this. We wish we could, you know, thank you personally, but you clearly don't want anyone to know who you are. And you're very... It's Bill Gates. Yeah, I don't think yes. it's Bill Gates. Not <laughs> <laughs> a Russian KGB agent. I, it doesn't matter to me who it is. I mean, um, but they're very cagey about it. They're very stealthy. They're amazingly good at getting that donation into the box without us noticing. Um, I don't know how how they do it, but thank you very much. And I don't want to exclude all the other people who donated both via Indiegogo and at Hemvention because we appreciate each and every single one of you. But this person goes clearly way above every other donation and they deserve special mention. I just wish we could say who it is, but we have no idea. The thing is, they know who they are, and that's the important part. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that is the important part to them. Again, thank you. Thank you very much. Look who's joined the Etherpad. The show's almost over, but let me see if I can get him on here. Oh, awesome. Uh, while he's joining, he's asking, did Bill McGinnis come by the booth? Who's Bill McGinnis? I have no idea, but uh, Richard's asking in the uh, IRC. Um, well, I could say yes or no, and I wouldn't actually be sure if I knew the answer or not, because I don't know who Bill McGinnis is. I probably do know who Bill McGinnis is, but I probably only know him by call sign. Okay, well, Richard didn't answer, so sorry about that, no. Hutch. I mean, I know you really wanted to. <laughs> I did. I'm a big fan. I mean, I sat down and listened to every single episode from episode one. I did it in, in a week and a half. I feel like I know the man. He's, he's awesome, and uh, it's a shame I can't speak to him. Maybe next time. One thing I wanted to say about the Hamvention numbers is a comment I made in the last episode was I thought that Hamve- or Hamvention attendees or attendance was down. And according to Hamvention's own numbers, it was up. So I'm not sure what I missed, but it seemed like there were fewer people this year, and clearly there were not. I'm not sure how they're determining what the numbers are. I don't know if they're using raw ticket sales because I didn't see anybody like counting heads. Uh, so I'm assuming they're, ha- they're having to go on ticket sales. They said the the lull was apparently around 2008 when there were only 17,000 attendees, which was uh, 7,500 less than this past year. But we didn't start going until 2010. That was our first year. So we apparently started during the upswing in attendance to Hamvention, which is good, which means, you know, hopefully it will continue to go up. There's no reason it shouldn't. 
All right. Uh, we have no feedback for this episode because I was extremely lackadaisical about getting out the last two, which means there was nothing for anyone to comment upon. So hopefully by the time episode number 132 gets recorded, there will be some actual comments and we'll have something to talk about. But we do have a long list of folks who have subscribed to our podcast or liked it or become involved in our circles and lots of other various ways that you can join up with Linux and Hamshack via our social media roundup. And this is Cheryl's department, so she's going to read a gigantic list of names. Yay! Yay! <laughs> okay, so in our donations and subscriptions department, we have Bill Arcan for monthly, Leonard Hutch Hutchinson for monthly, and he's new. He can wave from the podcast now or whatever. Hello. <laughs> Bill Hyatt is monthly, Gary Oots is monthly, and Jonas Rulio is yearly. On Facebook, we have Ed Donnelly and Bruce Wattendorf. On Google Plus, we have Christopher Roseford. I'm guessing. I'm not sure. On Twitter, we have Yuri Martinez, KB6NU, Russell Willis, Leon Roxon, Tom, uh, and his is AJ4UQ, Bilby2, Eki Plight, Falcon Communications, Simon Kennedy, F1AFW, John Alley, Bobbler, Victor Chermock, Craig, and one that just showed up about three seconds ago was Alessandro Graziani. Andrew Roan joined our mailing list, and David Maldron joined our YouTube channel. And there was no merchandise sales this week. Yeah, one thing we don't really talk about is our YouTube channel because we really only started it a short time ago, and there's only a couple of uh, Google Hangouts that are posted up there. Uh, one of which was, was mentioned earlier in the show when we were talking about Tom Samashichio, uh, who was on the last one. But we will be doing more Google Hangout type stuff, and there'll be more stuff posted on our YouTube tra- channel. Uh, so check out Linux in the Hamshack over on YouTube, as well as Facebook, Google+, Twitter, our mailing list, and our merchandise sales uh, over at Printfection and Cafe Press. And guess what, Hutch? We have some good news for you. Hello, Richard. Yeah, YouTube's overrated. Hey, <laughs> Hutch has a crush on you, Richard. He wants to talk to you. Okay. Is this really Richard? Yes, sir. Awesome, awesome. It's a pleasure and an honor to speak to you, sir. It really is. Really yeah. enjoyed your podcast. See, see, that, that's the thing. People say that, and all it, all it tells me is they have very little taste. <laughs> well, maybe that, too. Maybe a little bit of that, too. Ah. Well, I hope you're doing well, sir. Oh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Awesome. Am I coming through okay? I sound kind of funny on my end. Well, you sound all right here. You got a little bit of a weird audio thing going on, but it's not like we can't understand you. But uh, that's the accent, right? That's the Texas accent. That's what it is, isn't it? Well, no, we don't have one down here. They, they oh. guys have accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who've been paying attention, I've been saying for the last couple of episodes, as Pete says, like stupid things, that I'm going to like um, mark them and soundbite them, and then they never seem to appear and he's thinking he's getting off scot-free well guess what he's not getting off scot-free because i have pete quotes things like let's see i'm the king of bitch (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i never would have said that (laughs) no 
No, you wouldn't have said that. You would just say things like, you don't have to be mentally deficient to do this job, but it sure helps. That's a real good one. <laughs> Let's see. Pete has also th- said this in the last episode. We could be a threesome. I see. And he also, sa- he also said this. Being a sellout makes things a lot easier. I've got more stuff that I need to get from him, but he is no longer safe. Especially with those quotes. <laughs> I'm not even sure what the first one was about, but I still love it. I'm the king of bitch. <laughs> Y'all are having far too much fun without me. I'm starting to feel bad. Yeah. I should take a, I should take that same quote and take out the words king of. If you take out king of, that's a much more interesting quote. So how are you doing, Richard? Are you actually going to get resonant frequency back online or what? Well, we've had some substantial donations. I've had people throw some music at me. Some of it's good, some of it's not so. Um, I've carved out a segment of time. Uh, those who follow me on Facebook have seen the pictures of me uh, reestablishing the studio such as it is. It looks like a go right now, unless something blows up. If I can keep them damn goats out of here. Goats? What are you talking about, goats? We're back in the goat-filled studio. I see. Are you going to be coming back here at all, or are you going to be doing your own thing? Well, the advantage of that one is I can take what little free time I have and do it in that free time. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the goats. Y'all, y'all look back in the pictures, because there's a picture floating around somewhere of Russ giving a lecture to a herd of sheep. And if not, I'll find it and repost it. Uh, <laughs> 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 however... This this right here is what I was talking about here a while back. You know, I I, I flat forgot or no, uh, because y'all missed two weeks ago and then recorded last week. Then this week I forgot and just realized it about ten o'clock. So here I am through the magic of patio. Well, get this: you're here and Pete isn't, so somebody's on the ball. Ah, see, there you have it. Yep. He'll be back, and he only talks a little bit funny. Yeah, not like you. You don't talk funny at all. I'm glad you decided to show up right at the end of the show, but um, we've got to wrap this thing up unless there's, like, something else you want to talk about or if you want to let Hutch, like, you know, give you a back rub or something. I dozed off. I don't like him that much. Oh, you don't like him that much. Okay, that's good. Well, I'm actually glad to know that. (laughs) Well, I have, you know, I have plenty. I have people standing in line to give me a back rub. Well, I'm not in that line, and I never will be. Ah, you, you, you just don't understand. I work in a place all day long where there's hot, hot, hot oils flowing all over. Say that again a little clearer. No. That's <laughs> uh, okay. It's already time-stamped. It's not like when it was in the fudge plant. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here quietly while you say things. Because you know if I say things long enough, you'll have another sound bite. <laughs> I think I already have three or four. Well, there you have it. Thanks, Richard, for stopping by. And Hutch, thanks for coming on and uh, chatting with us for a little while. And Harrison for, for being here as well, for staying up late, because I know it is late for you. It's almost midnight, and I think your parents are probably wishing you were in bed. Was I'm wishing I was in bed. <laughs> well, you'll well get- I'm not wishing that right now, but I will be wishing it in about uh, seven hours. See, now you don't have to worry about about the, uh, you, your partner being gone because Harrison talks funny, too. That's true. They both have the same sort of funny talking ways. And there's something talk about, fast up here. There's something about boots up there. I don't know what it is, but they talk about boots an awful lot. Boots? <laughs> like in work boots? 
Yeah, boots. Oh, okay. You know, I'm like what? just just one boot. Yeah, that's right. Things are. It's like um, what what stuff is a boot? Um, oh, okay. I got that one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, wait you throw it again, and I'll pick on that so. Well, down there, you guys redo the rough. Excuse me. Down, <laughs> down there, you guys redo the rough. What the hell is he talking about? I don't know. I don't know. Up here, it's roof. Down there, it's rough. Oh. With two O's. <laughs> How the hell is it that you manage to derail the show in 30 seconds every time you come on? I... <laughs> My job. <laughs> I guess so. Well, if, if you really want me to mimic Pete, I can say, and I just badgered that really badly, but. It's a French saying of basically, let's get back on topic. Yeah, let's get back on topic. Uh, before we before we get back on topic, I, there's somebody else I need to mention. Cheryl is in here too, among all the other cast of character, cast of crazy lunatics that are in here tonight. Ah, uh, the lovely Cheryl. Yes. Ooh, ooh, dang it! Do that again. <laughs> <laughs> He's, Why? So you can get a sound bite of me? No. I don't know. He's, he's <laughs> well, feeling all funny down inside there now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to wrap this thing up. You all shut up for a minute. I'm going to hit the outro button, then we'll uh, do the outro, and then we can sit and talk if we like or whatever. But anyway. You uh, shut up right now. Yeah, shut up right now. This this has uh, been episode number 131 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ K5TUX. Please check out our website at lhspodcast.info. You can become an LHS ambassador and visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or Ham Fest. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info or leave a voicemail at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. We send all hate mail to Harrison at hatemail at lhspodcast.info, and he hasn't gotten any in a while, so you should send him some. Subscribe to our mailing list. The link is on the website. You can go to Cafe Press and Print Fection, buy some of our show merch. Each person, each purchase helps out the show in a small way. CafePress.com stroke lhspodcast, printfection.com stroke lhspodcast. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads on the right-hand column of the website. Every click sends us a little bit of money. It doesn't cost you a thing. You can listen live every other Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. That's Wednesday at 0200 Zulu Time. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode is located on the website, as is all the information you'd ever want to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners live and quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate you. We appreciate you all. And that is about it for me, Russ, K5TUX, and for Hutch, and for Cheryl, for Richard, and for Harrison, live from between the peaks in the pine forests of north-central Arkansas. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. We'll catch you in two weeks' time with another one. Insanity will ensue. Talk to you all later, and good night.
I really do hope that eventually Harrison does get some. 